want to welcome everybody to this the Save Things Mount Report. I, I feel awkward saying that because I'm recording with my guests a little bit earlier, still on Tuesday, the 31st. But you'll understand why here in a second. But before I get to that point, the views and opinions of the show are of those of the host and guests and do not represent any sponsor, affiliate, anybody else. Just views and opinions. Just calm down. If we offend anybody, we're already sorry. We're sorry. But anyways, um, my guest tonight is Jude Morrow, the author of Why Does Daddy Always Look So Sad? But first, Jude, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well. I, like the rest of the world, I am stuck at home uh, for uh, significant portions of the week. I'm still at work. I work as a frontline social worker, so I'm in and out of work. And I suppose I'm just watching the craziness that uh, is becoming of the whole world. So uh, I think, uh, firstly, I should say I'm probably just as fragile as everybody else and perfectly willing on the air to admit it. I I was going to say, before we get to the book, well, first, what, what everybody should note, the accent is from Ireland. That's why we're doing this early. Um, second, being in, like, boots on the ground, so to speak, how has, I mean, this has to be 180 degrees from anything that you're normally used to. Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, whenever I uh, went through school and uh, went to university to train to be a social worker, I've been doing this job for eight years, and I can say that... Um, global pandemic isn't really covered in the manual so i suppose it's a very fluid situation and we're having to uh, act react and plan um as the hours go by in the day just uh, given how severe the situation is likely to become so it's it's been it's been very very difficult the whole concept of the coronavirus so, so much fluidity is something that i as an autistic person greatly struggle with i mean it's I know I have to do my bit. I know I have to um, serve vulnerable people as much as I possibly can. But it's very, very difficult to cope in the wide-ranging consequences of of this virus. And a lot of people will say to me, well, Jude, we're all in the same boat and everybody's going through the same thing. But I view, see, taste and smell the world entirely differently from a lot of people, which I'm proud of. But it doesn't make it any easier. It's not much of a consolation, I have to say. So I guess moment of transparency here. I I need to connect you with the person I'm thinking about. I had Derek Volk on my show hmm, November. So how many ever months ago that was? Um, he His son has autism, and he wrote a book about that experience. So I think we need to get you two together. But back to where I was actually going before I started stumbling around and... <laughs> Had, a thought, had another thought on top of the thought. Uh, I have an autistic son, so I, under, I can very appreciate the nuanced details of what you're talking about. Oh, uh, that's cool. Because he does. He's been. Do, we did. We, we switched to cyber school this year, which is was was a big change to start with. And now we're kind of. He's still doing some classes, but as you can imagine, they're not the normal classes. So it, I don't know if it'd be better if we just weren't doing any classes because. Right? You understand what I'm saying. It's not the usual routine. It's not good enough. It's just a royal pain for him because he wants to be doing the normal classes. And he's stuck doing these... What's the word I'm looking for? Less than. There, I, I cleaned it up nicely. Classes. And every, <laughs> every, everything is out of routine. So I can appreciate what you're telling me on a, a much deeper level than probably the average person is listening. Oh, absolutely. It's... It is very difficult for everyone. Any sudden life changes, and believe believe me, I've been in your son's position where I've had uh, changes to my own schooling, even at mainstream school, whenever I had different classroom assistants, got different teachers, was sitting in different places in the classroom. So um, I suppose he and I have a a little deep connection at that at that sort of fear of change and um, upending of structure it's it, it's it's not easy and I suppose trying to keep as much normality as possible is important but then I find myself now here's a grown man thinking aimlessly chasing reality and the world as it was is that a fruitless endeavor I don't know I think so which is the interesting problem that I ran into it's not a problem the book is well done, right? What's, I'll, throw, I'll throw that out there. But my problem, per personal first world problem hashtag, um, <laughs> was 
I, I, I was seeing him, right, as you were going through this. And I've seen, you know, I was doing a seesaw as you were battling your, you know, your early battles with education and getting a diagnosis and, you know, all of that. Yeah. To seeing him, seeing what we went through with him, to now, you know, now I'm talking to the full-grown version, so to speak. I know I know your parallels are probably going to end at some point and he's going to probably do something different. But nevertheless, it's very. it was a very real, weird time travel thing for me. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I think for for me, it's. Uh, I, I mean, what what the book served in the first instance was just an account for my son of what I went through, because people have autistic children, the same as in your position. I mean, one day we grow up, and what happens then? And I'm sure there's a lot of questions in the book that my parents would have asked that. Perhaps sometimes you ask yourself, and you know, how are things going to be in adulthood? And I suppose what I want the book to be is a bit of um, a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, a bit of hope. And I suppose whenever a lot of people read the book, they say that they can see, you know, their their children within the pages of the book. Because let's face it, I'm not very remarkable. My story is no different than anyone else's. It's not a story of playing 50 games of chess at once and, and winning every single one of them. I haven't achieved anything otherworldly or remarkable, like an, a severe endurance feat or I, overcoming a critical illness at the point where I was near death. It's just a normal boy who went through extraordinary circumstances, which have, in the modern era, as in 2020, is fairly common. But is it though, really? I mean, let's be honest. There, I mean, while well, you, well, you're right. But most most of us never achieve that one percent on the top end, right? The, you know, overcoming whatever or becoming a professional athlete, whatever that top end is, right? Most of us never yeah. become that. But it's a lot easier to become that bottom end, right? The drug addicted. What I mean, you could you could paint your own picture of what the bottom end looks like for humanity. It's a lot easier to fall down than be up. Yeah, it has, and I'm not saying in any case that I have become anywhere near the the one percent. And I think, nor would I ever want to be in the one percent. I don't think. But with me, I know that I don't speak for every single autistic person. I know that autistic people have varying levels of need, have different circumstances, different talents, different gifts other underlying health conditions associated with it but one misconception and I say this to nearly every single um, particularly in North America, every journalist is that a lot of people would use the word autism or autistic to describe what would be a classic learning disability with me I am autistic without a learning disability and I know that whenever learning disability is brought into the picture that things can be much, much different. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason I wanted to bring you on is because you see, you say the word autism, and, and there's always a gut reaction no matter who's saying it, right? But my my version and my life is different than what was in your life versus what's different. You know, it, it's not it's not the same thing across the board. No, it's not the same thing across the board, but what is the same thing across the board is that being autistic is not a death sentence. It can be... Whenever people think of autism or being autistic, you get all the usual crap, Jim. I know you get the, oh, it's a lack of eye contact, it's not being able to make any friends, it's not being able to do this, it's not being able to do that, it's not picking up cues, not getting jokes, and so on. And to me, I think a lot of that is a very negative viewpoint. For me, what being autistic is, is that having... Uh, I'm a very passionate person, I'm a very driven person, when I visualize something I have laser focus and I go for it and that that's the way it has been with me, I'm organized, I'm determined and those are all the common uh, characteristics of being autistic that are maybe kept out of the media so much and it's more the negative spins that are, are brought into the fold I for a long time hated being different Nobody in this world, nobody in the history of medical science has hated being autistic as much as me up until I was about 
23 or 24 years of age because I had that automatic negative bias. I did see all the poor traits. I didn't want to be characterized into that group, almost like cast aside into a social minority. I didn't want that. And then whenever my mindset and thinking changed to you know, the gifted approach, the talented approach, the more positive approach, I became much more proud of myself and who I am. Yeah, it, it's let's let's go back in time though for a, a brief moment because I think we kind of glossed over this. Um, your, your desire to write a book because that is not something that I can. Maybe you are a writer. Are you a writer by? Tra- I mean, I mean, I know you do the social work, but I mean, this seems like a different animal altogether. Putting together a book. Yeah, well, I would I would say yes, I am a writer and not <laughs> professionally as such. Um, I've always written. I've always been able to communicate much more effectively in the written word than verbally. Uh, it was something that came a lot more naturally to me. Do I want to make uh, being a writer, speaker, and so on my career? Ab- absolutely, I do. That's what I'm going for. Um, but as far as writing a book, I've always been a bookworm. I've always loved books. I've always loved reading and creative writing and poetry and so on. It's things that I've kind of dabbled in over the years and I suppose I wanted a bucket list thing that I wanted to have a book written by the time I was 30 and that's what came out of it. A bucket list thing. So what else is on that list? What else can I, what else can I help you with on that list? <laughs> well, we're, we're right there. Let's do it. <laughs> um, do, do you know David Letterman? Uh, do you no. uh, do you know anyone in the New York Times uh, that can get on the on the list? Um, can you put me on the stage at Carnegie Hall? Uh, yeah. There's so many. Get out of New York. What else? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not right now. Whenever this is all over, yeah, we can we can revisit all those things. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, it's good to have again have goals outside of simple things, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, aim high. That's what I always say. I, I always have, and I've gone through a life of having goals, having targets, and people thinking, "Nah." I'd, I don't want to be kind of framed as an as an as an accidental hero either. I want uh, I want the, my book and my story and to get to the very very top simply because I put it there and refuse to let it be anywhere lower than that. So before I forget, we should probably do this for the first time. Where where can people get the book? The book is available in all major online retailers and bookstores if they ever decide to reopen again. But the book will be there in print and ebooks will be available on all the major platforms from all um, major online retailers. And there is an Audible version as well on audible.com. And where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Do you have a website or social media? I do. I have my own website, www.judemorrow.com. I have my Facebook page, Jude Morrow Author. I'm at Jude Morrow 10 on Twitter and at Jude Morrow on Instagram. <gasps> and also I'm on LinkedIn as well. God, I said all that in one breath. <laughs> getting practice and you're getting your reps in. You got that down pretty good. Oh, yeah, I have because <laughs> there's... I, I, I do I do rehearse things before every interview and every you know, discussion piece that I, I do with people. No matter where it is, I always prepare meticulously. Like, for you, this is the first time you've done this interview. For me, I've done this interview twice today already. Well, that's a good thing for you and a bad thing for me, because I'm trying to get something out of you that they didn't get out of you. But you have the benefit of having home court advantage and know what you've already, they've already asked you, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, I get okay. Well, I'll, I'll just make you do the heavy lifting. What? What am I miss? What? What should I be asking you? What? What is the one thing that people don't often ask you about the book that you'd like to talk about more? Is the actual writing of the book itself? I think people have, and they, you know, they talk about the content of the book from my childhood struggles to becoming a happy, peaceful, autistic man. Not to spoil the book or anything, but I don't die at the end. I think it's the origin of how the book came to be. I, I, I has an interesting story in itself. I completed the book, and like every writer, I wanted to get published. I thought I wanted to put my book 
on every major book stand in the world. That's what I wanted to do. I set that target and went for it, I suppose. But whenever I submitted it to literary agents and even publishers, absolutely no one wanted it. Nobody. And a lot of the feedback I got was, well, stories about autism and being autistic are dime a dozen. But this is where my story is different. And that I'm speaking about being autistic from the adult perspective. A lot of books that you see are parents of autistic children talking about their own woes and struggles and so on. And for me, that is fine. I know that people can struggle. And for non-autistic people, autism and being autistic is is very, very hard to understand. And a, a lot of people say to me, whenever I speak to audiences, no matter what it may be, is a lot of people say, I just wish I could be in my child's mind for five minutes. Even with my own mother, as now I'm a big six feet man with a beard, my mother would still say she wants to be inside my head to know what goes on, how I view things and see things a bit like the the difference between the matrix and the real world is that I am in the real world and maybe non-autistic people are in the matrix that's sometimes something that I think and I decided to self-publish the book nobody wanted it so I thought I'll go ahead and I just found out that people really resonated with it it struck a chord with a lot of people and then it was only whenever it climbed up the Amazon bestseller charts whenever it was self-published that I was taken on by a literary agent and now Beyond Words Publishing, who have been wonderful through the whole journey, I have to say. And speaking of Beyond Beyond the Words, uh, what was her name? Bri- Brianna over there has been phenomenal getting us set, th- set up to get this together. So, oh, Brenna? Yeah, she's been... Brenna is one of life's good people. I absolutely love Brenna, and she is fantastic. She's connected me with so many great people as as my agent, Deborah, as well. So I've never actually given shout-outs before. Whenever I look at Instagram stories and so on, and people give shout-outs, you know, I just want to give a big shout-out to so on, I sometimes cringe and think, oh, dear, who do they think they are? And now I've just done it, Tim. Oh, God, what have uh, I become? But, well, no, you, I, I did it, and you just piggybacked on it. So don't feel bad about doing it. I, I That's think, okay. I think good people deserve credit, right? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I always, um, I always say I'm always so so grateful for anybody that helped me along the way. Anybody that wants to talk about my story, and it's something that I never talked about. Being autistic was off the agenda for me. I never want to talk about it. I never wanted to believe in it. And now I find myself not being able to talk to enough people about it, whether it's um, being interviewed, whether it's at live shows, conferences. So, Pretty much so, anywhere I am. So where did, when did that switch? I mean, obviously that had to have taken a, a, a drastic turn at some point from not wanting to talk about it to talking about it. And I suppose the title of the book says it all. Why does Daddy always look so sad? And that's a question that my three-year-old son asked my mother. Because my struggles and my real difficulty in adapting to the giant life change of becoming a father was so apparent and lasted for a few years that even my three-year-old son could see it. So I knew that I had to accept and come to terms with who I was if I was to have any sort of meaning in life and a positive relationship with my son. Yeah, I I think that there's a multi-dimension part to this, right? Because even just if we just pull it back to becoming a father and that change of life, let alone any of the other connections or anything else it's a major uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Milestone I guess is the easiest word to put on at this moment let alone anything else on top of it because I'm sure learning in school that you learned about all the fathers who you know didn't take on that obligation whatsoever they just kind of did what they did and left yeah uh, I mean I've always been one to step up to a challenge I've never refused any challenge, no matter how ridiculous that may be. And I I was excited. I was somewhat happy, although I couldn't process it. Whenever it comes to emotions and autistic people, and this is something I explain, no matter where I go or who I'm talking to, 
if you think of a motion being from like a, a garden hose attached to an outdoor tap, you turn the tap on and the water flows freely from tap to the end of the hose. Whenever it comes to me, my experience is that there's somewhat of a kink in that hose and that a lot of water can build up and then it can just explode and and burst the garden hose. But that's not necessarily all negativity. It can sometimes be excitement and happiness and I can find myself being very emotionally overwhelmed at times. And I think that's what happened whenever uh, Ethan was coming along and there was a lot of the usual fears that new fathers would have, the life change and will I be good enough and I suppose all those things were tied up in that too. So maybe maybe this is more of a personal question than an interview question, but I'm just going to ask it anyways. Um, how do you start to? I don't want. I guess I'm going to word it this way. Process those feelings and explain them to others because it's so easy, even just being a big air quotes here normal person, to kind of bottle stuff up and try to figure it out. Let alone being autistic so how do you start to process and work through something that involves another person well sometimes what i can do is that i can take time to reflect on things sometimes i don't give an immediate answer or um for example if um i have a disagreement with someone sometimes i can take time to myself write it down come to terms with it before formulating a response. Sometimes I'd rather give a response the next day as opposed to trying to think of my feet and giving the wrong one. I suppose I place so much emphasis on giving the right response and a, a lot of the time it's it's very difficult for people to understand and, and see how I feel because I mean the day I was signed up to Beyond Words uh, to publish this book that we have now I my family commented that I didn't show a lot of outward emotion, that I didn't seem excited, I didn't seem happy, because it was just a little bit overwhelming. It is a dream come true to have a book published for anyone who's written a book. And I realised I was in a very lucky position, and I suppose that only really hit me a couple of days later. You know, the dancing around the house part, woohoo, woohoo! <laughs> You know, I can have some delayed reactions, should I say. But I just want to understand the situation and it can it can take me a little bit longer to come to terms with it and realize the significance of it. Well, I'm sure at first there had to be more of a shock than ex- excitement or a what did I just get myself into? More of a whatever that would be as well. So excitement would probably be down a little bit on the list of things that would happen. Well, I think I'd got to the stage that I had wanted to have my story told to as many people as I possibly could. I wanted to keep going. I wanted to put the book right out there into the world. Whenever people had told me that they had found hope and happiness in the pages of my book and reading my story... I just wanted as many people as I could to read it. And, of course, there was a, a, a sense of, as, as soon as the... I remember it really, really clearly, and it's probably the slowest I've ever signed anything, the actual act of doing the signature, because whenever I do the dot at the end of the morrow on my signature, that could be the beginning of a huge life change for me as well in a positive way you know I just remember that I just remember the pen just rolling along the page J-U-D-E-M-O-R-R-O-W and getting to the second R of my name I was like oh my life's going to change forever no so that was that was hard to deal with and it was exciting and bewildering and it was just everything kind of mixed into one it was like emotion soup everything was just thrown into the pot so how long ago was that? When was that day? The 4th of August, 2019, three days before my birthday. I'm good with dates. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you'd know. So it has, I mean, that's seven months ago, eight months ago now, I guess. Getting yeah. And it has changed your life because obviously I'm sitting here holding your book. I know this is, yeah. good, for, this is good for the audio part right where I'm sitting here holding your book. But literally, I'll take a picture of it and post it on my my Instagram here in a few minutes. 
Um, um, that has changed your sure. life. Uh, yeah, I was just, oh, sorry. I was going to say, make sure to tag me on it at Jude tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> but uh, right, I mean, so it has changed your life. And, and when you, you you expressed those ambitions earlier to be on Letterman and and uh, at the Carnegie Hall, I mean, you have to take those steps to get there. So I mean, you have to be feeling good about the momentum you start have you started to have built through this process. Yeah, I did because what what what, what I did was I whenever the book had come out and I'd been meeting with school groups autistic groups just to meet their members and speak to them because for the autistic kids they got me because I am like them and they're like me it was a big therapeutic process the whole speaking tour that I did here because I got to meet so many people like me because I know that being autistic sometimes can be a lonely existence, especially when a lot of people either A, don't understand you, B, are ignorant toward you, or dismiss you entirely. So I got, I really love speaking to people. I've loved doing that. That's been a real, real big bonus of the, the whole book journey. And I do want to continue that way into the future. And I mean, there's a time where I just felt so fragile. I felt that I would never amount to anything. I would just eternally be different and cast aside by society. And now I'm finding myself just trying to bulldoze my way through everything. And I suppose it's kind of it's a bit addictive. Yeah, I mean, it would, when you don't, when you when nobody expects anything, so that's when it's easy to do great things, right? Yeah, absolutely. I um. I did want to have a book for Ethan for him to realize my story, but as time has gone on, I suppose the purpose and my goals for the book have changed over time. Yeah. So, what? What's? I mean, what? What's? I don't want to say what's next because obviously that's kind of a loaded question. We've kind of built the bridge, but are you? What is next? I mean, doing more of these interviews, get the book out there, and then where does that all? Where's the where does the road take you? Well, the road had taken me to uh, the Bay Area. Um, the coronavirus stopped me getting there. Um, Ireland, the island is on lockdown, so I was actually supposed to be going tomorrow morning, the first of April, and there I had a speaking slot at an. Uh, Autistic Careers Expo. I had a guest speech at Stanford University. I had book signings in Barnes and Noble stores in the Bay Area, and unfortunately, that's all been postponed. So I do have all of that ahead. Um, I'm hoping that there will be conference talks, more American speaking tour talks. There was a lot of talks and a lot of plans and a lot of preparations that were underway prior to. The, the world turning into what it is now. So hopefully it's not the beginning of the end. Hopefully we come out the other side of it and the things that we're in planning prior to lockdown will be realized whenever the, this is all a distant memory to us, I hope. Hopefully sooner than later, too, right? Yeah, you bet. So... It's going to be a transition for you to go from... Your regular, I'm going to say nine to five. You know what I'm saying. Your, your regular job, yeah. To this speaker, author, personality. Have you started? I'm um, obviously you've obviously you've started the process as that. But how is that even going through your mind? Because it has to be unnerving. Because I can't imagine me, let alone the trend. It is. Uh, yeah, it, it is unnerving slightly. I've become so accustomed to my life, the working nine to five and having a day job, being a social worker. I mean, I, qual- I qualified in 2012, so the, we're on nearly eight years. So the seven year I had said, and don't get me wrong, I love my job. My opinions are my own, etc. But this new change of direction for me that I was aiming toward is a welcome one because Whilst being a social worker is something I enjoyed, felt reasonably competent at, and had good outcomes for a lot of vulnerable people over the years, 
I also think that life's too short not to do something you absolutely love that can hopefully change the world forever. I want to do my part. So let, let's 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 add some great value here because how do you prepare? I mean, I know you you talked about preparing for interviews. How do you prepare mm-hmm. to go out and speak in front of a group of people? Because that's intimidating for most everybody. Well, what I do any conference, I like a petulant child. <laughs> ask, can I get onto the stage first? I have a pre-stage ritual that I always do, no matter where I go which is standing on the center of the stage, how many steps I can take to the left, to the right, to the back and forward, to the front of the stage, doing the sound checks, making sure that there's no reverb or echo off the microphones. I get a feel for the venue, the arena or the theater or the group, wherever it may be. I get the real feeling for that. And that normally happens maybe about 30 minutes to an hour before going on stage myself. So I do have that ritual. I I cannot go on stage without doing that. And before that, any speeches, any talks that I give, whilst they are conversational in tone, they are still rehearsed within an inch of their lives in my house. Everything from the words that I use to the hand gestures to how many steps forward I can take and back and so on. So I do prepare meticulously. Every single time. I don't go onto the stage and speak off the cuff without any preparation. Every speech is different because every audience is different. Every stage is different. Every even interviewer is different. But I just take that time to... I channel my positive passion and energy into putting on a good show. But a lot of people in the non-autistic community would say that's an obsessive, ritualistic, or repetitive behavior. But it's it's channeling my passion and energy in the only real way I know how via preparation. Yeah, and I mean that's that's crucial. But I get all the preparing before that. But there has to be that moment when the lights come on and the people were there. How have you but, overcome that moment? Because it's completely rehearsed, I'm in control of the entire interaction. It's me on the stage. It's me saying everything from start to end, whether it's an hour, an hour, 90 minutes, two hours. It's me on the stage. Speaking to 20,000 people is absolutely no problem because that'll have been rehearsed. A one-to-one conversation, for example, what you and I are having now, I would find much more difficult than going on the stage in front of tens of thousands of people because... This is a bit, This is more of a conversation, and I'm always minding myself so as I don't say the wrong thing because, yes, while I'm very autistic and proud, there are times where I can be prone to faux pas as well. So trying to consciously concentrate and not put my foot on it or say the wrong thing is a lot more tiring than a completely rehearsed interaction where it's a one-sided affair. What would I say? beams out into the crowd I was just sitting here thinking that as you were asking that I, as, as you know as you started to answer that before you said it I'm thinking this has to be way more difficult uh, you know doing this which is like you said one on one but unpredictable to a degree right I mean yeah it is it is it, it, it's, it is unpredictable and I suppose trying to keep and retain as much as the of the predictable as I can is how I survive in life and just try and deal with the unpredictable as best I possibly can so each day going right now it's all different um, what's been like one real trigger really frustration that you've had? dealing with like, even like corona or promoting the book even there's got i mean what's the one thing that really has been sticking to you so to speak i mean the corona has invaded the entire planet in a way that no extraterrestrial species could ever ever could it's just the simultaneous is that even a word simultaneous that's yeah, anyway I, think so. the, I, I mean I'll, every, I'll allow it no. <laughs> I, I i i mean Everywhere in the world being so affected so rapidly, so quickly, at the same alarming rate has been very, very difficult for everyone in the world. But I'll say from a personal point of view that 
of course, as I alluded to earlier, I was to go on the American leg of my own speaking and book promotion tour tomorrow. That's not happening, and there were so many things in the planning, and like, even with this interview, like although it, your show will go out at the same time at the same week, um, every week, uh, but behind the scenes, we've had to reschedule this interview one or two times because of my fluid work schedule, and that's been very difficult trying to reschedule everything. Of course, again, I have to revisit Brenna and give her a big thank you, Brenna. So she's been fantastic in all of this. And it has been really difficult for me to cope with that. Just the idea of what is the world going to be like tomorrow. A lot of yeah. things just seem so unimportant, don't they? Yeah, that's the the rub, right? I mean, rescheduling this interview is fine, but it you know that's that's minor compared to some of the consequences that the world is dealing with. Oh, absolutely! I know there's there's. There's there's a lot of death and hurt and and sadness in the world and it's it's not easy even even in my hometown there there has been the same as well there has been there has been death there has been public fear it's just a very solemn and eerie world that doesn't seem to have as much happiness as it once had and my perception of the whole world I've realised. Not not that it was wrong, is that it can just change overnight. I mean, the planet itself, as a living organism, has a mood, almost. And whilst the planet before all of this was reasonably content, it just seems like it's a big, sad ball of rock and water now, doesn't it? That we all have to exist on. Yeah, and to a degree, I guess my, my, my thought is... Are we getting closer together as people, or are we getting further apart as people? Not necessarily the physical people, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, but are we yeah. making more in-depth connections? Even though it's harder. I mean, it's it's a weird thing that I have going on in my mind because yes, we're socially distanced, right? Yeah, we could be using that time to connect with either more people, right, or spending time messaging, calling. Because, you know, the joke is we're always so busy, right? But now we kind of have a lot more, well, some of us have a lot more time than others, to be making that phone call to see how, how every, you know, because I think I have like 400 people on my phone, right? And I can guarantee I haven't talked to 350 of them in the last year. Yeah. I think people are becoming more connected, and it is nice to see. I, I, I notice a lot of people are being a lot more neighborly than what they perhaps would have been in the past. People are showing concern for their fellow man, especially whether that's elderly or more vulnerable. And these times, I, I think there definitely is a good sense of togetherness. I find, especially here in Ireland, everybody is working together. Everybody's fighting it hard. But everybody has the common goal of coming out the other side of this with us the most the minimal amount of damage possible. I think everybody does have a common goal, and across the world, whether it's political opinion, race, gender, sexual orientation, or religious views, conspiracy theorist views, whatever you have, whatever beliefs you have, and whatever thoughts you have that divide you from others, all of that has suddenly become so distant and completely unimportant to the point where we all have this one common goal because I firmly believe with the coronavirus this is mother nature fighting back. I think we've polluted the planet for far too long. I think we've become uh, much more technologically dependent in the last five to six years than of course ever. For example, we're speaking on Skype over the internet right now and I think something has happened that is bringing the world closer together and get, uh, getting to know each other a little bit better or maybe understanding different points of view. I don't know, but it does seem that even though it's mostly virtual because of social distancing, that people are talking to one another much more, I think. I think you're right. And I think, like I said, that's hopefully that's what comes out of this, right? We will have a much better understanding of the value of going out to eat with somebody or whatever, you know, however far down that rabbit hole you want to take it instead of just going back to being so uh, singular focused about ourselves that we stop and celebrate the people that are in our lives. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think so. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's a, a chance to reach out to people. And I mean, I find that people are reaching out to me more, and I am returning that favour with other people. And it's a nice feeling getting reacquainted with people. Yeah, I, I have to say, it's helped me get through this a bit. Yeah, as I say, I put it in my newsletter uh, yesterday, day before. Hey, if if you just want to talk, you know, you've got the email address. Just send me a message. We can connect. I mean, it's not, you know, like, I hate to say this, but I feel, now this is just me being me for a minute here. I feel that, like, doing this show, I've kind of, I don't want to say lost why I started it, but it was to build a community, right? It was to build people that interacted and talked with. And then at some point, you know, it just kind of started, I got started more focused on guests and all this other stuff and kind of forgot that, you know, the real reason I did this was just to have people that were interested in the same thing talking about the same things all the time. So this is kind of, I guess maybe this is just me being me again, opened my eyes to saying, you know, slow down and while you have a moment, all right, before everything gets busy again, quote unquote, take a moment and just share and be you again. And so that's what I'm trying to do. So hopefully it works. But that's what that's what happens. As I said earlier, Jim, with my book originally, I, I was something for my son. Um, whenever uh, the book was first self-published, it had taken on a life of its own. People found comfort in it, and the the balance of that, whilst that was still there, it was still for Ethan. That you know, you do find yourself. You know, it is it's a dynamic process. And I can identify with what you're saying. You wanted to build a community with your podcasts. But then it evolved as time went on. And I, I, I can say honestly, truthfully, hand on heart, say the same thing about the book. It's the same thing that, I mean, everybody sets out with different ideals. And what you end up with can be something con- completely different. Columbus went to try and find India. And look where he ended up. So it's the same thing. He gets a lot of credit for being lost. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> he does, and whenever you have a lot of direction, like like me and a lot of other autistic people, you get criticized for it. So, <laughs> Now, if I ever got that much credit for being at the wrong place, I'd be thrilled. But <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> oh, I absolutely would. Me, me, me too. But, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't get an awful lot of credit because I think people... The, the social media brigade would be quick to criticize, condemn, and, and, and mock you so quickly. So I think Columbus has a one-off. We, we just need to let him have it. He can could keep you, that one. Could you imagine? I mean, I'm, I'm just now, now you got my mind thinking about great events and social, like if social media existed then. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, <laughs> like American, Buzz taking like, a selfie on the moon? Yeah. Oh, no, well, he already did that, didn't he? <laughs> Well, I mean, of, it, was but, a, it was a much bigger camera, but... <laughs> kind of. But, you know, yeah, but then, you know, being able to tweet it back from the moon. Yeah. If, if social media was around... It's, uh, social media is as big a curse to me as it is a connection tool. I mean, all the good things in the world start out with a, as a positive thing, and then man always finds a way to use it to kill and demean their fellow man to take uh, planes, right? In World War One, whenever the first planes took flight in World War One, they were used for spying and reconnaissance until somebody had the bright idea, ooh, we can throw grenades over the side. I mean, with social media, maybe that's the same. You know, people thought, oh, this is a great way to connect. And then somebody maliciously one day thought, oh, I can use this to publicly shame someone. Ha, ha, ha. So I don't think that'll that'll ever change about human nature. Man, you just nailed that, and I had never thought about it that way. Yep. Man always finds a way to kill their fellow man. I always wanted to fit in with society. I always wanted to. I just felt so different. And whenever you think about it in that perspective, it's, I mean, thank God I have the neurotype that I have. Thank God I'm autistic, I say sometimes. Because I don't want to understand that. The underlying kind of evil that exists among society. For I read a study. If you throw ten adult chimps, ten bananas, they'll all take one each. They'll all share. 
And it's the same whether um, a carcass is thrown to a tank of sharks. Four of them, they'll take a quarter each. But I just think that the human race has always been this competition. It's always been a pecking order. It's always existed. And it's something I've tried to understand for so long, and I think I've just given up. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever. I don't. I don't think we'll get there. I think if we, if somebody did, I think they'd have they'd have the more the market corner and have a phenomenal bestseller. But then, oh yeah, but the, 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 the corner. Say, and the me market. and you will be like that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the, he's the enlightened one. But uh, if somebody did find a way to crack the human race, um, I think the rest, the majority, would all find a way to gang up on him or her. And that will that'll be the end of that basically. <laughs> so <laughs> I, it's just it's just the times we live in. I, I despair for the future. I mean, I, I think of the children. Yeah, that's like I said. That's kind of the like I said. That's kind of been my thought when I was going through this as as a reader, right? Because see, then that's where it gets really conflicting, right? Because I I'm just reading, you know trying to read the book for to do the show right just kind yeah. of get through it and then as i got into it it started becoming i don't want to say emotional but i don't know another word at this point to fit about the journey and how you've made it out so i don't want to say out but you know you, so often i guess especially with the the school systems and stuff that they at times and with different people can make it more difficult than it should be yeah, they can. I, I, for me, cliches are cliches for a reason, and that, and I, I say this all the time: is that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I know along the years, all through my schooling and even in my work life, that a lot of people trying, overly trying to accommodate me or compensate or believe that I have some sort of uh, deficit or deathly condition. It really, really does sadden me. It really does. And whenever I wrote the book, I just wanted to make it clear that autistic people can be as happy and productive members of society as everyone else. I just didn't want people to make the same mistakes I did either. Because I'm not going to say I'm without fault. And I did make a lot of mistakes. I did things that I regret in my teenage years and early adulthood, and I just don't want autistic kids, teens, whatever, to make the same mistakes that I did. Find me somebody out there who hadn't made mistakes as a teen or young adult, and then we'll have a conversation. Oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's not about necessarily the making mistakes. It's the thought processes and prior to making them the constant desire to fit in with people the constant need to feel as if i was part of something yeah and i mean that that's not necessarily even an autistic trait there's children who just want to fit in because they don't or don't feel like they do even if they do yeah um maybe uh, apart from the autistic community there'll be there's a lot of parents and children who don't have an autistic child in their family that are able to identify with the book as well, especially if children are extraordinarily shy or have other mental health issues as well without being autistic. It's just one of those things that a lot of people just seem to have resonated with. There are certain parts of the book that certainly catch people in the fields, for want of a better phrase. It's a good reminder that it does, well, I guess it was for me, at least, I'll say this. It was a good reminder that no matter what the challenges are today or yesterday, that it does keep going and it does, I don't want to say get, well, it does get better, but it's not always as bad as you think it is, especially in the moment. No, it's not always as bad as you think, and a lot of times I can have different degrees of emotion to being extremely elated or extremely anxious and agitated there's not a lot of middle ground with me i'm a very black and white person and i suppose that's okay i don't want to change that it's an integral part of who i am i am now proud of it i thought it was a weakness in the past but it has always been my greatest strength without me realizing it 
so here we go. Uh, where can what? Well, give give me the where where's the book and where can people find you again? My website is www.judemorrow.com. All the pre-order and soon-to-be uh, sales links uh, will be, uh, they are all on the homepage. The book's available at all major online retailers, published by Beyond Words, and it will be available in all major US and UK bookstores as well whenever they reopen again. So all the ebook versions are all available with all those retailers, and there is an audible audiobook version on audible.com which yeah I can't strongly if if you if you have a child I think it's worth reading just because um, there's a lot of, of other parents out there that deal with things maybe not autism but things in this line that it's worth reading and um, consuming and running your mind process through because we all like I said we all kind of get lost in our daily our little bubble and not necessarily aware of other perspectives going on around us yeah definitely and i love hearing other people's perspectives as well whether people message me on my facebook page or instagram or twitter i love hearing people's stories as well not only do i love telling my story i love hearing everybody else's as well and a lot of parts of people's stories that i hear strike a chord with me that maybe didn't make it into the book itself but that I can identify with and say, well, I actually do that as well. So it's definitely a conversation piece. Uh, I'm glad to have played my part in the opening of the autistic discussion and trying to spread as much positivity and uh, neurodiverse vibes under the universe as I possibly can. So speaking of not making it into the book, how much more of the book did... That had to have been a painful part of the process, right? Editing the book down to what it is today? Yeah, there was, there, it was a very, very painful process. It, there was so much that had went on in my early years, and I just, I, I just wanted to do it as much justice as I could without losing the overall themes. And I, I wanted to strike a balance of positivity and things I didn't like uh, to make the book that we have now. And there wasn't too much, I have to say. There was. A lot of things that I could have written about that um, I left out of the book. The Just the constant feeling of not being able to join in games, not being able to participate well in sports. Although eventually I, I was able to. I did learn. I did use that energy and was actually quite good uh, to a point. Not mega talented, but I was proficient enough and... Yeah, I, I, there, there's things like that I, I could have expanded more upon in the book, but um, as as the book progresses, it's most it's centered on the relationship between me and my son, me and my small child, who is my absolute hero. Like he's six now, and he's a whirlwind of of happiness. And he's not autistic; he's not like me. And uh, I suppose, yeah, that that does create more fun scenarios <laughs> after the events of the book uh, take place because I think he knows what makes me happy what doesn't make me as happy he knows my likes and dislikes and boy can he use them yes, so I was you're thinking knowing your likes and dislikes is that a good thing or a bad thing uh, it's a good thing because I think he can be very attentive to me he knows whenever I'm not so happy or I'm struggling and if I find a situation overwhelming, he knows he'll come over, sit beside me, and so on. Uh, it's a, a bit of an unspoken language that we have. It's just it's a it's a vibe. It's like mind message. You know, I can mind message Ethan without saying anything, and he'll just pick it up and come over. And there's other things that I I do like things in the house or whenever we're out in public. I like doing things a certain way. Um, and Ethan sometimes can do what he can to sabotage that, to try and gauge my reaction. Which, although it is a bit funny, given that he's only six years of age, but uh, <laughs> it's not easy at the same time. Now, this is kind of more of a broad question, but do you, do you think he does better at adapting to you than some adults? Yes, absolutely. He's my absolute hero, although he doesn't wear a cape and a mask. He's... And it's, it's like an extension of me. He's like a an integral part of of my being, and I think he really gets me. 
and I think he shows me compassion and kindness and happiness. Although my parents, I have the best parents in the world. I know everyone thinks that they have the best parents in the world, but I can say that mine are better than everyone else's. And it's there in a book for the whole world to see. And I think with my parents, yes, we do have that special relationship, especially with my mother, uh, because she was at home with me a, a lot more while Dad worked. But Ethan just has this... We have this unspoken thing. It's just a mutual understanding. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that the relationship between you and your parents. And again, here, you know, putting I'm not trying to make this all about me, but this is just kind of how it hit me. Mm. Like the relationship between you and your father versus the relationship between you and your mother. And, you know, here I am, you know, seeing that and kind of putting it up in my prism and going, man, that's kind of true, right? I mean, obviously, but that's kind of true on all levels, though, I think. Especially earlier on, the child more so connects with the mother, but it's kind of an interesting, broad-based issue that I yeah, it, it, and then like I said, the personal stuff. And so, not a knock on how well the book is written, but it, it is written that well that it takes time to digest if you're reading it properly and putting it, trying to put it in the context. Yeah, it definitely does, and. Uh Whenever you're, you're you're reading it, a, a common scenario would be that uh, autistic children would tend to be closer to their mother, but that's no different from nearly every other species in the kingdom, really, is it? At least not what I, I've found so far. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that um, with um, being an autistic child, I've been there, it's been in my brain, I've seen the world through a three-year-old's eyes, and it is the most overwhelming thing in the whole world. It's the scariest thing. And like any frightened child or animal, they always seek comfort and solace in their mother, if available. That's the way I think we. I think it's basic and documented human nature. And, and with that. You always see a lot of autism mommy support groups and so on on Facebook and Instagram and that. And I think that's why there's just that affinity. There's that relationship, like especially like the one I had with my mother. It's, it's no different. And it still exists. I, 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 she wasn't able to absolve herself of me whenever I turned 18. I mean, we still have that relationship, although it's from afar and um, it's still there. And a lot of the time... I would speak to my mum still if something's overwhelming to me or I'm worried about things. So I left the phone. Maybe I'm just a mommy's boy, Jim. I don't know. <laughs> well, it happens to the best of us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're the worst of us. I don't know. Uh, I just a, want to thank you for um, taking the time and writing the book. Right? I think that's a very, very valuable asset that people need to look into getting... And then I want to thank you for the, the time this afternoon to do this. Oh, absolutely. It's been my pleasure. As I say, I'm happy to speak with absolutely everyone and anyone except for anti-vaxxers. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm here. I'm available. Reach out to me on my social medias, and I'm happy to talk to anyone. And importantly, listen to everyone, too, because I love hearing other stories, too. It is powerful. So I just, again, just want to thank you. And then... Uh, Wish you all the best, and when when make sure that when you do get over here, make sure I get up to date on the tour information, especially if you get over to this side of things, because San Francisco's you know way too far away from me. But oh well, I'd be hoping there'd be uh, stuff happening on the uh, um, on the on the east coast as well. So yeah, I'll I'll definitely hit you up. I will add you to the hit up list. It's not a term that we would use here. Whenever I started being interviewed, when people say, even if it's to be polite, um, oh, if you're ever in Arizona or you're ever in Salt Lake City, hit me up. And I didn't really know what that meant, but now I keep a list. So where are you based, Jim, on the East Coast? Uh, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania-ish. So what, so, so what will happen whenever, you're, whenever I'm in Pennsylvania-ish? You will hear a ding on your phone. It'll be Jude Morrow, and it'll be, I am here, let's go for coffee. And you'll say, Jude, I only said that to be polite. And I said, well, I said I'd hit you up, and here I am. So it will happen. Hey, it'll happen, and uh, if we could get it together like the, you know, a day before, it'd be great, so we can actually have time to do it. 
<laughs> Absolutely, no, I, I, I definitely will. I'm hoping that there'll be uh, more uh, events and chat on the on the uh, Pennsylvania, New York side of things. All right, Jude. Well, go have a good evening and uh, look forward to talking to you again. I certainly will, and thanks again for having me on, Jim. And that's Jude Morrow there, judemorrow.com. Go check it out. Powerful stuff. Thanks for listening tonight. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcasts. 